I would suggest doing things that have a deadline or setting a deadline for yourself and making it public so that people keep you honest or that sort of thing. That really helps me knowing I need this thing done by X. It pushes me to finish. And I, it's taken a long while for me to realize that it doesn't need to be perfect either uh, because you know, perfection is the enemy of you know, completion. Hi, welcome to the Daiku Podcast. I am Gary Snow, and joining me today is Nathan Russell. Uh, Nathan is the person behind Planet Peril Games and the creator of the minimalist game system, Freeform Universal, which has inspired Nathan's later game designs, such as Neon City Overdrive and the most recent release, Hard City, which you can see here. And we're going to talk about all those games and uh, his design career. Uh, but first of all, uh, Nathan, welcome. Hi, how are you? Good, good, good. And and you might be able to tell from home that there's a slight accent there. So, Nathan, where are you coming from today? Uh, I am in Newcastle, Australia, which is just a couple of hours north of Sydney. Uh, so that's where I uh, have spent the better part of my adult life. And uh, I like to sometimes call it my fortress of solitude. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, I've got plenty of people to play games with, but I sort of sometimes feel a bit detached from sort of the game design community, uh, which tends to be closer to our major centers like Sydney and Melbourne and that sort of thing. So, you know, speaking of that exact topic, how did you get started in gaming? What kind of a hotbed is gaming in Australia? Uh, it's, it's very active. You know, we have a great gaming community and have had for a very long time. My beginnings uh, were in high school, as a lot of people's were, and um, it sort of started a, a bit, I think, differently to a, a lot of people I made some new friends when I started high school so I was about 12 or so and they were really into computer games and uh and coding and creating their own games and one of them had run across a a book that had made reference to these strange pen and paper games that were played with grid maps and and stuff like that and knowing nothing more than that uh and having a copy of a fighting fantasy book which is the sort of choose your own adventure style games uh they made up their own game and we all played it and loved it. And eventually we found Redbox D&D &D and, uh, and fell into it that way. Found some older guys that were playing Advanced Dungeons and & Dragons and a whole host of board games. We played a lot of Battletech and things like that. And, um, and so that was sort of the beginnings. And I think that that experience shaped my desire to sort of design games a lot because from the very beginning we were making it up as we went along and, and that sort of thing. So, so that's where we started and uh, played vigorously throughout high school. When I went away to university, uh, it sort of dropped off a little bit. I, I was a theatre major. We did, I focused more on performance and things like that. And, uh, and then later when time became a little shorter for constant rehearsals and, and uh, things like that, I I fell back into gaming. I got a job at Games Workshop uh, and so worked there for a few years as uh, uh, in the store and running games and, and painting models and things like that. And, uh, and yeah, so that's sort of a very small sort of snapshot of where I began in, in uh, games. So, yeah. And you said you're a theatre major. How much did that inform, now looking back upon it, how much did that inform the way you design your games? I think 
massively. I, I think that my interest in character and story and, and telling stories in, you know, interesting ways and, and delving into the characters and being the characters, I think is really important to the sorts of games I like to play. Um, I think that certainly affects the sorts of games that I lean towards when I play games or when I write games and that sort of thing. So it definitely had a, a very big influence on what I do now and, and what I've enjoyed most in the past. So, yeah. And are you like the forever GM uh, because of that? Or are you like, where do you normally sit at the game table? I'm pretty lucky. Um, so I, it's, I get to play as much as I get to run. So um, usually what I play is Dungeons and Dragons because one of my closest friends, that's his game. That's what he loves. And so we, uh, we play that. And so I play on a, a fairly regular basis that, but then I'll pull out a weird game or a, you know, one of my own games or that sort of thing. And we'll mix it up. And that's the thing. We've got a big group of a, bi a big community. And so, you know, we fall into little patches into little groups and, uh, you know, some of us will play D and D and then, you know, another group of us will, you know, play test one of my games or crack out fiasco or you know, that sort of thing. So, uh, so I'm pretty lucky in that regard in terms of uh, having the opportunity to both play and run games. So, yeah. And speaking of fiasco, which is, you know, like kind of an improv minimalist game, uh, you, uh, I believe started your career and I'm going to bring it up here, uh, yeah. with, um, let's go back to the original slide here of freeform universal role-playing game. And I have the classic rules up here and what edition are you at now? Is there, that is still the current edition um there is a beta for a second edition available on my website um and it's uh it's been sitting there the beta has been sitting there untouched for a couple of years now i just um things have sort of stacked up and and sort of it's on a list of things for me to finish off um so yeah so uh freeform universal uh foo is how i pronounce it fu is how other people enjoy pronouncing it um, but, uh, I released that in 2010, uh, I'd written some other games prior to that and, uh, had done a fair bit of, um, uh, 24 hour game design contests. So the sort of the precursor of today's, uh, modern game jams. Uh, so I was relatively active on forums such as 1KM, 1KT, which was, a forum of game designers that would regularly run contests over a weekend to design games on specific themes and, and things like that. I had run, uh, I participated in uh, events and, and activities and things on the forge, which was very big in the early to mid two thousands. Um, and freeform universal came out of that eventually Um I actually wrote the the core mechanic of the game, the yes, no, and but, uh, back in 2004 uh, when I was introducing a friend to role-playing. So Rowan had heard of Dungeons & Dragons, knew I was a role-player, had an interest in it but no idea where to start. And I didn't want to begin with three big hardcover books and... Uh, and several hours of game creation and explaining modifiers, what I really wanted to show him was it's about 
being a character and doing things that are fun or exciting. So I'd whipped up a, a very basic game where you played goblins in a labyrinth. It was very much the film Labyrinth uh, without the humans. And uh, and we played that. And, and I used that core game mechanic in Freeform Universal, which was written over the course of a, a weekend. Uh, uh, and, uh, and it's sort of... I don't know why it's sort of hung around for so long. I, I wrote it, I put it together, I, I put it out there, first of all, on the, the forums and then published on RPG Now, and some people really liked it, uh, which was a very, very pleasant surprise. Uh, it's a, a super simple system. The original, the classic rules, are simply you roll a dice and you look at the result. And in those particular rules, even numbers are good, odd numbers are bad. So because I just decided to call the system beating the odds and lent into it, now my preference is to go high numbers are good, low numbers are bad. It's just easier for our brains, I think. Uh, but the basic system is you roll a die. Uh, a six is a really good success, which we call a yes and. Yes, you do the thing and you do something else. And everything's framed in questions. So when a character wants to do something, you ask a question, can I leap over that large gap in, in the between two buildings? Or can I hit the orc with my sword? You roll the dice and you get a yes or no response. And uh, and you can see there the, the table on the, the screen, it, it runs from yes and, yes, yes, but, no, but, no, or no and. And I just found those are enough of a prompt for you to continue telling the story. So you talk at the table, you play the game, you hit a point where I'm not sure if my character can do it, let's ask a question, and then we discover, oh, yes, I can, but something has happened along the way or whichever result you end up with. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong, because uh, I'm trying to like now place it into the whole timeline of yep. like, game development and... I mean, Powered by the Apocalypse uses the similar kind of mechanic. And so was th that just something that was floating around? Or is, are you the perhaps first person to have used that? I, I, I'm not too I sure. I don't know. So um, I can't even remember when Powered by the Apocalypse came out. It must have been around a similar time. Um, but, yeah, as I said, the, the core yes, no, and but is from 2004. And, um, and then... I released, I wrote this in, in 2010. Um, I've, I've certainly have always paid attention to what's, what else is happening in the indie game design space. And I think that, uh, I think that certainly there's no doubt that there's cross-pollination and, and I've certainly been influenced in huge ways by games like PBTA and, and things like that. And my later games that you I didn't see it at the time, and then it, when it was pointed out, it was like, oh, yeah, really obviously there's elements of Blades in the Dark and things like that in, in some of my later designs as well. So, yeah. Um, so how many games... Well, first of all, I'll note that it's uh, uh, Creative Commons by 4.0, which means a lot of people can use this as the uh, baseline of their game, just giving absolutely. credit and, uh, uh, from it. but. With the OGL stuff and, and all that kind of stuff, uh, I have to ask, uh, do you know how many games have used the... Uh, um, I, 
Well, I want to say F U. I'll try not to say F U. You can say it. It's fine. <laughs> I, it's just the way I always say it. But how many? Um, do you ever regret that name, or has that anybody ever kind of said, "Well, why did you name it that?" Or like anything um, like? Look, sometimes I, I haven't regretted it. No, um, and I think it was pro it was no doubt in the back of my mind when I first did it that ha ha. Uh, yeah. I was literally writing it in 24 hours and, and who knows what goes through your brain in that condensed amount of time as you bang out 24 pages of text. Um, it, where originally, because Freeform Universal was certainly also playing off game names like GURPS and TWERPS mm -hmm. and, and so... Um, so originally I was going to call it something like Ferps or, uh, or Ferg or something like that. And then I just kept the first two letters. Um, so, so yeah, I don't regret it and I don't care what people call it. <laughs> I certainly occasionally I'll get, you know, the odd comment, you know, well, that's just rude. You should change the name. Um, and, and well, I'm it's like, memorable, right? So that's right. You don't forget so, it. Yeah. Uh, in regards to how many games have, been based off it there i don't know uh there's been s some very memorable things that that i know uh very early on before i released it as creative commons uh i was contacted by carsten dam who uh works with vagrant workshop uh which is a, a game design company in germany i think and he wanted to use it for some of his games and uh, it was used and in order to just avoid needing contracts and crazy stuff, which I really don't have time to, to deal with. I was like, let's just make it creative commons by that stage. Fate uh, w was released as a creative commons by license, I think as well. And so I released that and Carsten um, and the vagrant workshop crew went on to use it as the core rules for their Earth Dawn RPG that they did, so Earth Dawn Age of Legends, and they used it as well for another fancy hardback um, science fiction game that they had. So, um, so for people watching on video, um, Earth Dawn Age of Legends is essentially the setting of the classic Earth Dawn RPG but uses the freeform universal rules with some tweaks and additions that to cover the magic and things like that, that are, that was required. And that gave me a huge boost in confidence that, Oh yeah, I, I must have something that I've written that people like and that sort of thing. Uh, I know that it's been used for uh, a French game that was based on a series of novels. Uh, there's been lots of translation work. So Italian and Polish and, uh, French and I think probably German and, and things like that as well. So Brazilian. Um, so there's there's lots of variations of it out and about there, and a, and a really strong and and friendly community of game designers that that have latched onto it and enjoy it and and that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. And you were like well ahead of your time. Like when I think about uh, where things are at now, where I mean. The, the focus of the games where, you know, you're like lean into your character, you give a few hooks and like you lean into the, the cliches, so to speak, of like yeah. the genre of the person that's in it. And that seems to be like nowadays, a lot of games are just like random table, get a character up and running, away yeah. you go. 
and and people really seem to like that uh at the time when fu came out though was that like uh still hard to, for people to kind of um wrap their heads around because that was still pretty crunchy times yeah so i think uh it was certainly much easier to sort of create a character than even games like fate and and things like that luckily the groundwork had been laid by a lot of other really good indie game designers in terms of uh the using words to describe characters so fate had aspects and and i'm sure there's a few others that off the top of my head so um there's the pdq system by atomic sock monkey press who uh was using words as descriptors but it had numbers attached to those words and things like that um and uh rises the rises rpg so it was certainly something that uh people familiar with indie games and smaller games were aware of but i think that sometimes i would explain it to people who were traditionally D&D players or the like and there you could see sort of the wheels turning and their <laughs> eyes opening and go eh, I can do anything and, and and that's a really pleasing sort of moment to have with those you know no it doesn't matter it's not relying on dice rolls or numbers or what the rule book says that you can do you can whatever is in your head that's what you can play as your character and that's I think that's my favorite part about games that focus on describing your character and and when did you make that next step into okay you've got the system and i'm sure you were playing different genres when did you start kind of making okay i'm going to make a a specific game that's in a setting so it's uh a long time between drinks really i think uh i certainly played around and have written a variety of things and i did a a, a number of hacks of freeform universal so i wrote and released some free two-page documents so you could play um, Star Wars-type games or The Matrix or things like that. Uh, but then for a while, a long while, I sort of fell more into playing around with war game rules and uh, experimenting with that, mostly because I can be a bit lazy in terms of uh, reading huge rule books and then finding five supplements to support what I'm reading and, and things like that. And uh, uh, so I, I played around with a variety of different war games, none that really came uh, to much. Same well, with... I saw you on your website, uh, which yep. all the links are going to be in the description. So everybody yep. go uh, check it out. Planet Peril Games. Um, yep. Peril so... Planet. Pe oh, other Peril way Planet. Oh, sorry. Yeah. My... That's all right. Look, <laughs> the peas. yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a common people go peril planet what what does that mean yeah. uh, well i'll tell you danger planet was already taken um <laughs> so. well i will make sure we get that right in the description but you had a, a gun frame which was an anime uh, mecha battle game and then green and tan which was used uh, little <laughs> plastic toy soldiers yep. that you'd get in a big bag at the dollar store yep uh so i did i went through a phase where um i did a bunch of things aimed at design for my nephews to play. So my kids were still way too little to really engage and, and play at any 
level that was sort of strategic or particularly enjoyable for old me to play. But uh, I had teenage nephews and so I'd written a, a role-playing game that sort of looked and felt a bit like D&D um, but was much simpler. And, and I wrote uh, The Green and the Tan so that we could just play with army men. It was super easy. And it was also designed so that they could take it away and go and play with their dads uh, so that, you know, my one of my brothers is a gamer but the other isn't. And so I wanted something that was simple enough that they could go home and keep playing and that sort of thing. So I wrote Green and the Tan. It's super straightforward, just uses D6 and a bag of plastic army men to, to get through. And, uh, and that's where that kind of came from. And then Gunframe came out of uh, my desire to play. I've got a lot of miniatures, a lot of mecha miniatures, and, and I ended up with hundreds of Robotech miniatures after the Robotech Tactics Kickstarter um, where uh, it took many years for it to come out and then the line was dead as on arrival. And so I thought, well, what can I use my mech warrior and my battle tech and my robotech and my gundam gashapons and whatever else i have all together and um and so i wrote something that was generic enough and flexible enough that i could say this is what this model represents and and that sort of thing and there really wasn't a game that i felt emulated the fast pace of anime mecha um stories so when we think about mech warrior or Battletech, sorry, or any of those other mech games, they're often walking tanks. They're slow and ponderous and, and that sort of thing. And I wanted something that felt like it was a little bit quicker. And so that's where that grew out of. And I spent a, a very long time playtesting, mostly with um, Rowan, who is the, the gentleman that uh, is the person who uh, I'd originally written the food rules for as well. So... Um, and I'm really pleased with with the way that particular game came out. Yeah, cool. And then you uh, so after skirmish games, you delved back into the uh, tabletop role playing games. And yeah, what was the first title that? Because I I kind of yeah. get the sense between like your two kind of at least for me uh, your bigger titles of Neon City Overdrive and Hard City now that uh, you're you're not stuck in fantasy, which a lot of designers do get very stuck into fantasy but you did delve in it and play with that for a little bit yeah absolutely so um i my brain seems to run all over the place all the time and i consume a lot of media a lot of books and and film and tv on all genres and often i'll i'll go off on um binges where i'll just focus on a particular genre of of media and then i'll go what how can I recreate that? How can I play that? And that sort of thing. Um, and so that's why it is an eclectic mix of games and titles and things like that. I, I'd written a game called The Beast of Limfjord, which was a uh, sort of Viking saga-esque game that uh, it uses a completely different system and it has pre-generated characters. It was very much inspired by Lady Blackbird, uh, so I'm often inspired as well by other game designers and what they're doing and then thinking, oh, how can I take that that little bit of their game and, and run with it and that sort of thing. And so I loved uh, 
the way that Lady Blackbird was a self-contained game. It had the characters ready to go. It had a scenario to start, but wasn't restricting you on what to do next. So I put that together. Um, but uh, 2020 rolled around and we all know that things didn't go the way anybody planned in 2020. Uh, I had actually just started a 12-month sabbatical from work and the intention was that we were packing up the family and travelling for 12 months. Um, well, travelling for a few months and then I was going to be at home painting the house. Uh, but uh, the world shut down, we were all at home and all I could think of was, well, at least I'll have the Cyberpunk 2077 video game to keep me occupied. And they just kept pushing that game back, that game release back. So I instead sat at my computer and uh, and tapped out Neon City Overdrive. Um, I, uh, as a kid, Cyberpunk uh, 2020 was one of the games we played a lot, one of the games that I loved. One of my favourite films is Blade Runner. And... Uh, and so that I was super excited for the release of that video game. And, and when it didn't come, I was like, oh, that's all right. Let's write something. So Neon City Overdrive was an idea that I've had for a very long time. I had a, I think there is a blog post way back um, around 2010 where I talked about designing Neon City Overdrive. And, uh, and I, my intention was to do a design diary type thing and it just fizzled out and I never finished it and I never created the game so 2020 was the year that I put that together and I think that cyberpunk was 100% in the air in 2020 and so when it released people were reacted really positively to it so people were enthusiastic about the opportunity to sort of play the kind of cyberpunk games that they want because it's a toolbox it's designed you know to be it's got a hint of a setting in there but it's broad enough for uh people to imagine the world in whatever light that they want to whether they wanted to you know play something that was close to the william gibson novels or whether they wanted to play something that was more transhuman it was broad enough and the details were vague enough that uh they could they could use the rules themselves and it uses the core of um, the second edition of Foo. So that beta document uh, talks about trademarks and edges and, and things like that. And so it was also kind of an experiment. I'd, I had written and released the second edition beta for Foo and it's huge. It's over 100 pages and unfinished. And I kind of reached a point where I was like, that's much bigger than the kind of game that I really want to write or play or give out to people. So can I cherry pick the bits of that beta document and apply it to a very specific genre? And that's where uh, the rules for Neon City Overdrive came. Uh, and uh, and I still love it. I There's so many things about Neon City Overdrive that sort of you can clearly see the influence of my previous games. You can see the influence of other games that sort of have become popular over the last decade and um, and it remains flexible enough to 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 play whatever style of game I've, I've run sort of anime police dramas with it uh, you know I've seen P 
people people have told me they've run very much akira post-apocalypse weird psychological cyberpunk drama uh and obviously all the classic there's a adventure in the back of the book that's essentially the plot to the dread movie the judge dread movie um so it's wide open and uh and i think that's what appealed to people about neon city overdrive and did you uh was it just through drive through rpg that you did that and uh like did you did you have the vision and you sought out artists or did you get stock art for that so it's all stock art uh so i write and publish very part-time uh, i have a full-time job and I come home from work with all the good intentions to do a couple of hours of writing and publishing and, and then I fall onto the lounge or, or spend time with the kids. Uh, so I try to keep things as simple as possible. Um, so it was, I wrote the game. I often will write games in layout. So I open up InDesign, I get the look of the book and I use that to help me sort of stay on target in terms of what the game is about so i i know this is the feel that i want from the game i'll create a a a basic design for the book and work out my headers and fonts and then i'll write straight into that document it uh it speeds up my process considerably um having now also written games just in word documents um which i'll i'll talk about in a moment uh so it speeds up the process considerably and then I can see where the gaps are, where the big blank pages are, and then I use stock art to that matches the content of those pages to fill in those white spaces. And do you have a background in graphic design? Like are you comfortable in InDesign or did you have to pick that skill up? I, that's through practice. And I, you know, if somebody that was a, a professional sat over my shoulder, they would probably grimace a lot. Uh, <laughs> but but I've been doing it long enough now that I'm I'm quite comfortable with InDesign and and a little bit with Photoshop to to fumble my way through and and get it done uh, to the point where I I try to switch. Whoop. And and sorry, um, sorry. No, no, you're right. I hit the wrong button. I was trying to. Get the... <laughs> Get the PDF off it. I'm glad you're still connected, though. <laughs> I'm here. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm quite comfortable with InDesign now. I, to the point, I tried to switch to Affinity Publishing, and it was just different enough that I was like, oh, uh, no, I'll just go back to InDesign at this point. So, um, and, and, yeah, I think you asked about RP, uh, drive-through RPG. So uh, up until very recently, up until this month, everything was exclusively through drive-through RPG, and that was just... For simplicity um so i i've had an itch.io account for a long time but this month i've started to put those games up on on itch um and and i'll start to look at some other places i used to sell through lulu i used to do print on demand through lulu um but i had some issues and things and ended up i closed that stuff down uh but i'm looking at reopening that so that you know so just so that there's the opportunity and the it's, option for it's ever evolving, isn't it? And uh, yeah. how is it for like, uh, like I know it for drive through RPG, um, like I live in Canada and the, there's a lightning source print that comes from Canada, yeah. but I don't know if every country has that. And does Australia have that? And, or is it just like wholly expensive for delivery to you? Um, I think that I have received books from Melbourne. 
but most of them, I'm pretty sure, indicate the UK. So when I order through print-on-demand through drive-through, I think that that's where they're being printed and where they're coming from. Um, so, uh, and I, I think from memory that yeah, Lightning Source have these hubs uh, over the place, but I don't think. I'm not sure if there's one in Australia or not. So yeah. Um, so, I anything that I order from overseas tends to cost me an arm and a leg in terms of postage. So yeah. I'm kind of used to it these days. I think most Australian gamers are well aware that if we need to be prepared to say pay the same price as the product in postage usually to get something. So yeah. And you're normally that uh, makes those decisions a little bit more precious when you say, okay, I'm going to buy that because you know, the cost, like I, I always hate that I spend more on delivery than the actual book itself. And so yeah. you start to like either save up eight books that you're waiting to buy. <laughs> get That's them exactly right. I've, I've got a drive through RPG account open at the moment with a bunch of print on demand books that I'm keen to get. And I'm like, is there anything else I want before I hit, you know, <laughs> buy on that button? So it's much easier to buy in bulk in that regard. So, yeah. And then Hard City, and that's through Osprey Games, which was yep. a deviation from your, your typical publishing. Absolutely, so yeah. tell us the story of how this came to be. That, um, I, that was sort of a wonderful surprise. Uh, so I'm a big fan of Osprey Games. Um, I have a huge collection of their war games when they started when osprey who traditionally do uh historical uh books about different military campaigns and historical periods they a, a number of years ago began printing war games in these little blue books and that was fantastic they were on all kinds of eclectic topics from fantasy to historical and things like that and i have a huge collection of them and love them and then a few years ago, they announced they were doing um, role-playing games. They were going to start publishing role-playing games. And I had reached out then, and I'm not even sure the editor knows this actually, but I'd reached out then and they said, yeah, sure, send us some ideas. And it, that reply email got lost to my junk mail, which I didn't discover until <laughs> fairly recently. And so I thought, oh, they never replied. Um but Jerks, hey? yeah, I'm like, what? <laughs> and, um, but I'd released Neon City Overdrive and it had obviously lots of people paid attention to it and, and thought it was pretty cool. And somebody at Osprey Games had seen it as well. And they reached out to me and said, would you be interested in running something for us? And I said, 100%. Yes, I would be. Let's talk. Uh, they asked me to pitch some ideas. They they had said in their initial uh, contact that uh, after I'd said, yeah, uh, that they thought a noir-type game might actually fit quite well with those rules. And, uh, and so that was one of the ideas that I'd pitched. And, and that's the one that we ran with to begin with, with Hard City. And, uh, and it was a, a really interesting experience so where previously I do it all for myself more often than not I write games for myself I write the game that I know I'm going to play and I'm going to enjoy and then I chuck it out on drive through RPG and hope that other somebody else is going to get some uh, use out of it um, and this time 
I don't know, I felt a lot more pressure because somebody else was was backing me in this regard. And uh, so it was an interesting experience to write uh, for a publisher in that regard. And, uh, and I wrote it all as a Word document, which was a very different experience as well. So normally I'm you know, when I get tired of typing the words, I'll play around with layout or design or that sort of thing. So it's a, a very different experience and one that I really am, you know, so glad that I've had because I feel like it's made me a better writer in in many ways. But it's the process has been very time consuming as well. So I wrote Hard City in uh, 2021. So over the course of about 10 months uh, with playtesting and things like that. And then there was the editing and the design process. And Osprey are fantastic. So they sort of work with you as a partner. And so lots of decision-making together in terms of art and design and layout and things like that. And it was, uh, it was slated for release October 2022. I think it came out slightly later than that due to distribution issues, which are still ongoing effects of COVID and things like that. Um, I was really excited to do Noir um, because it is a period that uh, and a genre that I'm familiar with and I, and I have enjoyed in the past and, and I think there was a clear connection with my interest in um, uh, cyberpunk and Blade Runner in particular. Blade Runner is very much informed by that style and, and I was aware of that and so I could see the connection and the crossover between the two games already and uh, and I really enjoyed spending 12 months diving into some books that I hadn't read in a long time, finding new books and new films. And, and uh, we're very lucky that, first of all, a lot of older material is still available on streaming services. There's also a lot of really good stuff coming out even now that it fits the genre. Um, Have so, you uh, seen the new Perry, Ma- Perry Mason series? I haven't seen the second season. but uh, Yeah, I haven't started the second season yet either, but the first one was the- great. It was fantastic, and and I watched it in as I was making my original notes for Hard City. So uh, it was, uh, I I feel that pe- that Perry Mason series was quite influential in terms of what I had in my head of what a a game would look like. Um, and, I, and I refer in in the book for Hard City, it suggests some campaign frames that you might use. So you might be reporters or you might be police or whatever. And, and one of them is a suggestion that you work for somebody like a lawyer. And I think that was very much informed by the, the Perry Mason series. So uh, where you're kind of the, the people that do the legwork and, and find all the, the details, things like that. Yeah. Well, I like, uh, I saw it listed on Osprey games and, I think Osprey Games, like uh, just from a layperson's point of view, they're still, you know, getting their foothold into the RPG kind of world. I think, but they're really doing a good job, and they're getting out some really good, solid products. But it doesn't sometimes have the cachet as you know, like a Mothership or something like that, where it's yeah. like you know the type of thing. But I remember I saw this, and I was like, I'm super interested in it. And I almost ordered it online and then it just happened to be in my local game store oh wow and i immediately went okay i'm gonna buy it but the benefit of osprey i'm assuming is their wide reach and they have distribution with so many uh, game stores all over the world already yeah that's right they are part of a huge publishing company um so uh so their distribution channels i think are you know 
reach every corner of the world and every nook and cranny and that sort of thing. So, you know, as well as I'm pretty sure that the PDFs and eBooks are available on the same places that I sell, like Drive Through RPG, but they can get into those bookshops, they can get into those game stores and and things like that, and uh, they have that that power to distribute worldwide. So, um, which is you know, wonderful. It's an opportunity for me to show my games to people that probably would never have seen them at all otherwise. So, which is one of the other reasons why I was like, yes, yes, please, uh, let me write something for yeah. you. And they are a solid company that's been around for like a long time. And I'm really happy they're into uh, tabletop role-playing games now because it's a nice voice. And uh, like I said, it might not have the, uh, I don't know, what the, I'm not trying to say that because I love this game and I'm not trying to say it doesn't have the cool factor, uh, but... Uh, I know exactly what you mean. It doesn't have that sort of, yes, whatever it is that people get crazy excited yeah. about. So, But yeah. solid games. And I thought Heart City was really good and you could see the DNA of fu yeah all the way and so it's nice that you kind of found your your uh groove so to speak like everything's kind of working out nice for you and so you've got if i can see this now you got neon city overdrive yep you've got hard city and what makes perfect sense is to do another city book tell us about that all right well i have another book coming from uh osprey uh called tomorrow city and it is a diesel punk adventure game, basically. It's, uh, I'm not sure how much I can say, but it is heavily inspired for me by um, the, the, the genre of diesel punk, which is interwar period, um, weird technology. It's still sort of very much sort of set in that 40s 30s 40s look of fedoras and and things like that but with a a veil of science fiction and grime over the top of it i was inspired by some some of the books that i love like 1984 and brave new world in terms of developing the background so as there is a sinister undertone in terms of the background uh, but it will be flexible enough for you to run the gamut from dystopian diesel punk through to the Rocketeer. Uh, and so I had a, a lot of fun with that particular book and I, I hope people enjoy it. It's got a lot more background detail than any of my previous releases. It's got a lot more world building and things baked right into it to sort of so that people could see the vision of the world that I um, I'm, I have in mind. It uses the same system but with some tweaks. Um, and so I'm keen to see how people feel about that those differences and those changes. Uh, so I feel it's um, a crunchier version of the Neon City Overdrive rules but still has the same ease of character generation and the, the same dice mechanic and that sort of thing. So... I'm really looking forward. I've seen some of the artwork. I've had some good feedback from the the publishing team. So uh, hopefully we'll start over the next few months, see some previews and things like that. And, and, oh, well, I just, I um, happened to notice that on the Osprey blog. And so I thought I'd uh, sneak yeah. that in there as a... Yeah, there's a, a sneak peek of the cover, which I'm loving. Um, so, yeah. Cool. Uh, and... Uh, so now that you've, you know, you started with a system and some 24-hour games and a whole bunch of other games leading into, like, 
you were you're pretty much on a roll now with your city games, the Neon City uh, Overdrive, yeah. Hard City, and uh, now Tomorrow City. What advice would you give to somebody like you? It's not your full time job. You're still doing it off the side of your desk and in your spare time. But what advice would you give to aspiring game designers um, that would like to do something like you've done? So I think the key is to just buckle down and get something out there. Uh, I think get involved in game jams would be my suggestion. I haven't done a game jam in a very long time because uh, I, I'm when I write, I, I'm trying to finish one of the dozen projects that are looming over the top of my head. But uh, that's what I cut my teeth on. And, and what it does is it requires you to finish because I think too often you have a great idea for a game and you start and then it gets hard and then the enthusiasm peters out a little bit. So I would suggest doing things that have a deadline or setting a deadline for yourself and making it public so that people keep you honest or that sort of thing. That really helps me knowing I need this thing done by X. It pushes me to finish. And it's taken a long while for me to realise that it doesn't need to be perfect either uh, because, you know, perfection is the enemy of, you know, completion. Uh, it, It needs to be the best you can do, 100%. But constantly trying to go, I'll just do one more tweak, one more tweak, one more tweak. And uh, I had to learn that working with Osprey because otherwise, you know, I'd set, I sent them the manuscript and then it was, actually, can I change something? And then it was like, if I ask them to change something again, they're not going to be impressed. (laughs) And so uh, I think getting something finished and sharing it with people is the first step. Uh, I can be quite an anxious individual and so every time I put things out there I feel that knot in my stomach of oh my goodness what if people hate it or what if I've written something you know unconsciously objectionable in there or or whatever somebody is going to turn around eventually and say I'm terrible at this but uh but the act of putting it out there you know giving it a few days some room to breathe lifts that anxiety you feel better about the thing you've done and you've got something complete so uh, that's my first and probably biggest piece of advice to somebody that you know is starting out or wants to wants to do it themselves it there's plenty of resources online to help so i use stock art for my personal projects and drive through rpg is full of artists that provide their artwork for um for very low costs uh, and there are a bunch of other stock art websites around. So, so that's no problem. Affinity publishing suite is free or very cheap um, and does everything that InDesign and Photoshop does. The barriers to entry into game design and publishing are incredibly low these days. So just have a go would be you know, what I'd be telling everybody. Cool. Well, uh, Nathan, I just want to thank you for uh, joining us today, sharing your history and some of the cool games that you've made. And we look forward to seeing uh, what comes out in the future. And I'm really excited to see uh, Tomorrow City and uh, when that comes out. And um, just say, want to say thank you for joining us. Uh, no problem at all. It was my pleasure. I've really enjoyed the conversation.